when i was a programmer between 2003 to 2006 i was aware of only one methodology which was waterfall and waterfall methodology is one of the prominent software development life cycles at that point in time wherein it follows this step by step approach in terms of first people gather the requirements and then they come up with design coding happens testing and then deployment and then maintenance so there were so many cons out of this uh, waterfall methodology and because of which agile methodologies have come into existence and ever since agile is released into market or ever since people started adapting this agile methodologies they have become so popular and most of you might be aware of this uh, scrum dsdm fdd bdd extreme programming so on and so forth so these are all various flavors of agile which are helping in faster time to market in terms of deploying the applications faster than what it used to be when executed or when implemented with waterfall life cycle with waterfall methodology but how many of us are aware how to implement this agile in a right way and making agile work for you in case if you are curious this episode is for you in today's episode let's chat with balesh ragurajan this is the guiding voice podcast the guiding voice for a better future folks i am your host navin samala a fellow it professional on a mission to shape the careers and lives of millions across the globe and through the guiding voice we help successful leaders share their knowledge and wisdom with the world so that our audience will acquire more knowledge per every minute than any other podcast in this space thank you so much for joining me today and today we are going to discuss an important topic making agile work and we are extremely pleased to have balesh part of the guiding voice journey in shaping the careers and lives of millions across the globe balesh hearty welcome to the guiding voice it's so nice to have you part of our journey thank you so much uh, navin uh, you guys are awesome and the guiding voice uh, is doing an amazing job very happy to be here yeah pleasure to have you and likewise um, it is so nice to initiate this conversation on making agile work in previous episodes we have covered how to become an agile coach we haven't covered anything related to how to implement agile in a right way and uh, i'm glad uh, you brought this topic and it is so fascinating to me as well and i'm looking forward for this conversation so let us move forward with the first question so balesh maybe you can briefly share your career journey and top three things that have helped you so far in your professional life sure i think <clears throat> my career journey is um, as much as what anybody else would have gone through in the it industry however there were different moments in which i had specific uh, learning opportunities and these learning opportunities shaped my thinking so one of the key things um, you know as you also mentioned earlier about the waterfall approach one of the key things that i learned initially and that is what i was practicing is a strong command and control structure of executing projects you know uh, i will be the the central focus point i will tell my team what to do i will talk to my customers anchor the team you know i would do everything at a point in time um, you know when i was learning what am i really doing and you know is there a better way to uh, do it that's when i realized that um, you know rather than doing the top down approach let's do more of empowerment let's um, you know allow people to take decisions because everybody around us are smart people that was a big um, you know uh, learning that i had and i got this um, kind of uh, enlightenment through a 
learning program that I uh, uh, attended uh, during my days in uh, TCS. From that moment onwards, I chose to run projects very differently through empowerment by respecting people and so on and so forth. The second learning uh, that I uh, had through the journey was um, whenever we talk to customers, whenever we uh, approach uh, customers for anything, to deliver a project, to sell or whatever uh, role that we do, typically we tend to believe, at least for people of Indian origin, we tend to believe customer is right. Do whatever they say. You know, customer is uh, king. Customer is God. You know, we are very conditioned to these thoughts. One of the big learnings, and I got this uh, learning through a book called Software of the Mind, which is really about understanding organizational cultures across the world. And therefore, how we adapt to those cultures, being aware of those cultures. This book was introduced to me uh, by another colleague uh, in uh, early 2000. Uh, when I read, read the book, uh, I, I simply caught on uh, you know, to the concepts in that. So customer is not necessarily king, but customer is human being who has to be respected. You have to help add value to the customer. And that is more important than taking the orders. That was a big learning for me. After I read this book about understanding people behave in a particular way and things like this. The third one was, uh, <clears throat> if I marry the two, if you can empower, get more power out of your uh, teams. And if you really add value to the customer, how can the you know, world around us change? How can the work environment uh, change? And that was a big uh, you know, realization for me in terms of how do I draw the benefits of uh, both these things put together? So this is where agile thinking, agile mindset really comes into play. And I took an effort to understand the principles of agile. More than understanding the process, what I really understood is the principles of agile. And that has really helped me shape myself into how I work, how I work with customers, how I deal with my teams. And I think this is these three are, I would say, kind of defining moments in my uh, career at different points in time. They did not occur at the same time, but over a period of time, the thoughts evolved, the uh, you know uh, realization sunk in, and this is what I believe in practicing, and this is what I believe to propagate to others as well. <laughs> Excellent. So one training intervention has changed your fate and the fate of the clients that you are serving and all. That's what I can tell. And uh, I could yeah. see your passion in terms of uh, evangelizing these agile principles and especially making them work. Because I was going through your web website, effilaw.com, and uh, gone through this uh, uh, training series that you guys have initiated, which is about agile culture essentials and all. And uh, why, why do you think like we have to focus on this making agile work? Everybody is agile, working on agile. How can they do differently and how can we make agile work for them? I think that's a great uh, question. And... Um... I was also thinking around the same lines for uh, a very long time that um, I, I've sat through uh, stand-up meetings, I've sat through sprint planning, I've sat through retrospectives, so I'm agile. Now, this is where the misconception really starts. People are trained into you know, all these so-called ceremonies and rituals and broadly these are all uh, you know, scrum and without understanding the principles of agile, People assume this is, this is agile. If I follow Scrum, it is agile. And that's the end. What is missing is the core understanding of why culture is essential to drive team output. 
Why is a mindset change needed to add value to the customers? This is really missed in any type of training, most of the training. I mean, there are certain uh, companies that really train the people on mindset and culture, which is fantastic. I, I love those uh, you know initiatives. But when this is not addressed, people kind of fall into what is called as scrum fall. You follow scrum, but within scrum, you actually do waterfall. So scrum fall is what is followed in most uh, technology projects. And uh, there is an annual survey done by, uh, you know, State of Agile. If you do a Google search on uh, State of Agile uh, report, there's an annual survey. Consistently, year after year, they keep saying that um, culture, team behavior is the reason why the power of Agile is not really leveraged. And we did our own research. Uh, we spoke to different companies. We did some surveys. We spoke to, uh, you know, different practitioners of Agile, including Agile coaches. Less than 10% of them even realize, right? This is very striking data. Less than 10% of the people even realize that change is essential to move towards Agile rather than follow the process. So this is where we have to reflect on the four principles of Agile. Why did the folks that put together Agile really put it? You know, it is about adding value to the customer. It's people over process. It's team output versus individual output. These things can be understood and driven only through a mindset change. And therefore, if you want to leverage the power of Agile, if you want to make Agile work, you really have to kind of give that importance to mindset and culture. So that is the basis, uh, Naveen. Uh, I, I don't know if that helped uh, your question or not. No, no, absolutely. Because we shouldn't be doing something for the sake of it. And uh, having gone through the training myself and all people do it as a ceremony, as you said, as you rightly said, as a ceremony, as a tradition, as a ritual. Right. And so, uh, uh, so they miss the essence of this mindset and about being fast and quick enough to deliver as per the customer expectations. You have brought in a wonderful point and thanks for sharing that. And uh, Balesh, like uh, if we look at the career graph of uh, managers, engineering managers and all the senior leaders in the industry today, gone are the days where you don't have to code after reaching manager position. Right. From that perspective and tying that with the agile world. What is the role of a manager in an agile team? Yeah, I think uh, one more great question from you, uh, Naveen. One of the reasons that I believe that agile is not very successful is because managers fear that their role is reduced or diluted. And um, today I am telling 10 people what to do. I tend to position myself as a know-all person. And therefore, I will try to ensure that I'm still in control of the situation. So this is a huge mindset change that is needed in the Agile context. So one of the most beautiful things that I like about Agile is that you have to treat people in your team as adults. And this is a mindset change that is needed for managers. When you talk to people in a you know adult-to-adult -adult conversation, you respect people as adults. You respect people as mature individuals. You respect people as people who are capable of doing what they can do. Conversely, typically managers behave in what is called as a parent-child relationship, sort of paternalistic uh, approach. I will tell you what to do. If you want to do something, check with me first, right? So the manager's role really changes or evolves into more of someone who can facilitate how things can happen. A manager should really uh, look, what are the real challenges that the team faces? Using my experience, how can I enable the team? How can I share my experience? How can I ensure the team is able to deliver better? Right. So the 
focus of the manager is really about helping the team deliver the outputs rather than telling them what to do. And especially with the you know new age workforce, the um, you know Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z uh, workforce that is uh, coming into the industry across industry, not just uh, technology. The generation requires a lot of freedom, flexibility, autonomy, and managers have to recognize that. You have to accept that. If you don't accept it, you know you cannot be a good manager or a leader. So big shift that is needed from a managerial standpoint is how do I facilitate? How do I uh, enable people to be successful? One of the things we did uh, through another uh, study is how much time a manager spends with their team members on training. A lot of times people misconstrue this to be, okay, I will sit with my team member and teach them a particular technology skill. It could be Python, it could be whatever, it could even be mainframe, COBOL, whatever. People misconstrue this to be training. So, uh, younger generation and the uh, workforce really looks for from managers is on-the-job training. I'm on the job. I'm in the project. I'm stuck in this particular situation. I'm not able to resolve this defect. I'm not able to understand this particular requirement. Uh, I need input on this particular uh, architectural component. You know, so those aspects of on-the-job training is where the team really needs help on. And this is where the manager has to focus on. The manager need not know these things. The manager need not be a jack of all arts, but the manager should know whom to call to get that help, whom to tap into to solve this problem. It could be within the team, it could be across teams, it could be outside uh, you know, your team, doesn't really matter. How can a manager be a problem solver, an impediment remover? This is a big shift that is needed from an agile mindset stand. I think this is defining thing. There are a few other things that needs to be done, but this is the most defining change needed from a manager. Excellent insights. Balesh, now let us flip the question and talk about how not to manage the agile teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like I said, one of the things uh, is uh, don't tell them what to do. Uh, right? Because uh, if you keep what to do, it actually brings down the creativity of the team. It brings down the enthusiasm of the teams. And over a period of time, they will start looking up to the manager to solve everything. And this is when the manager becomes a single point of success and single point of failure. So one thing is, you know, not telling the team what to do. The second uh, thing uh, that a manager should not do is don't try to be in control. There is a difference between being in control and being in charge. If we try to be in control, we tend to get into what is called as task management. There are seven tasks uh, to be done today. I will assign these seven tasks uh, to my team. And then what do I do as a manager? I need to call them every three, uh, you know, four hours, whatever, right? Hey, have you done this? This was expected by two o'clock. Uh, why have you not done? Have you informed uh, Deepak? So this is required by five o'clock. Where are the test cases? Because you don't have, um, you know, that ability to let go. People tend to get into micromanagement. This is something that should be avoided. Now, one of the key things about uh, Agile is about um, you know, enabling the team to take decisions. So as a manager taking all the decisions, can you step back? And we can take um, you know, the, the uh, lean type of uh, approach. right? So if you talk about why something has to be done, what something has to be done, when it should be done, who should do it, and things like that, the manager should not worry about who will do it and when it should be done. That is left best to the team. The manager should focus on why something has to be done. 
and that is why in agile you really have to understand the purpose of the project the manager has to understand the purpose of the project and articulate that to the team the manager has to focus on what are the priorities it could be business priorities it could be sprint level priority it could be release level priority the manager really focuses on only those two things why and what and therefore if you are clear about these things and the team is stuck or when the team is going through let's say an escalation the manager helps focus on the priorities hey guys this is what we are supposed to do in this particular release or in this particular sprint these are the goals at the sprint level let us focus on that let's not digress right that's uh, something that the manager should do rather than saying hey why did you uh, allow this to happen how come um, you know this happened yesterday and you didn't tell me this is what typically managers uh, get into getting too deep into root causes you have to focus on what should be done let the team decide who will do it when they will do it, and maybe even how they will do it the teams are capable they they are very very uh, uh, knowledgeable and that's why you have them in the team uh, right so allowing the team to focus on who will do when they will do and how they will do is something that the manager should practice and this is something that a manager typically decides now you are allowing the team to decide so manager focuses on the why and what let the rest be decided by the team and that could be a kind of a thumb rule or a guideline in terms of what a manager should do and what a manager should not do mm-hmm. if that is followed you automatically follow the agile principles mm-hmm. yeah that that's great now uh, i understand the differences and the expectations especially from the manager in the agile world that brings me to my next question with regard to the distribution of tasks and assigning the responsibilities taking ownership accountability and all we have certain tools like resi which is about um, who has to be responsible who has to be accountable who has to be consulted and who is the interested party that kept need to be kept informed on the progress of the project so on and so forth no matter how many resi matrices we create in a project and all if the project is successful everybody tries to claim the credit and all but if it is the other way around people start getting into the blame game and all no i did it on time somebody didn't do it and all so likewise if you were to understand the team dynamics and all how do we ensure that the ownership aspect is dealt in a structured way can you share some insights based on your experience oh absolutely um, in fact uh, there are some very interesting data points we collected around uh, you know this particular topic that you uh, spoke about especially on uh, driving accountability and um, how do you manage let's say stakeholders within the team and things like that particularly on on the you know resi aspects right responsibility accountability and all what we found is that about uh, i mean we did a study of several hundreds of uh, project managers and found that about 40 to 45% of the managers actually do not have a very good handle on stakeholder management so stakeholders could be internal or external or customer right so one of the things that we found in the study is that 45% of the pms need help on how to manage your stakeholders because they don't uh, have enough enablement on how to manage stakeholders they get confused around how do i drive accountability how do i drive ownership and in fact most of the managers do not know the difference between what is accountability and what is ownership accountability is something that is given to you by virtue of your role position you know so for example if i am um, you know uh, let's say a ui uh, developer my speciality is ui so from a project context my accountability is to ensure that the ui is 
something that would add value to the business. This is what uh, the business really looks for. Ease of using the application. That's my accountability. It is given to me because that is the role that um, you know I have in the project. Ownership is something that is very intrinsic. I, as Balesh, feel that the UI has to be very intuitive. Nobody is telling me. People only told me you are responsible for UI. You, you know, you have to get this done for the project. Whether the UI should be intuitive, whether it should have minimal uh, number of uh, clicks to get a transaction done, you know, whether it really adds value to the uh, business in completing the life cycle of the transaction, that is my ownership. That cannot be given to me. That is mine. It is. It has to come from within. A lot of times people don't necessarily understand between what is ownership and what is accountability. Now, when it comes to ownership, accountability can be given. I can call my team member and tell them as a manager, hey, Naveen, these are the expectations I have out of you. Uh, can you please take care of uh, these things? And um, you know, I can kind of chat with you to see, have you understood the expectations? Do you need any help? How can I support you? I can give you accountability. Ownership has to be driven from a very different perspective because it's very personal. So the structured way of doing it is to really connect with each person to understand what are your personal uh, you know, uh, drivers? How much have you understood as to you know, the meaning and purpose of the project? And I'll give you a very uh, simple anecdotal experience. Uh, about four years ago, 2018, uh, I was coaching a team in uh, Noida. Very small team. Uh, I mean, as part of a larger organization, this particular team was a four-member team. Their job was to write certain code that will enable automation of uh, SMS messages for certain banking transactions. Right? Really the way the team understood their job. I write a code when a particular transaction happens, this particular uh, trigger will uh, initiate my code. Once my code is initiated, I have to send a text uh, message with certain pre-programmed uh, stuff and that will be sent to the customer's phone as an SMS. When we really looked at this particular uh, team and we were trying to understand, okay, so why do you need to send the SMS? What is the trigger point? Have you understood the trigger point? Why is, and the code is such a small piece of code, right? So you've written such a small piece of code. Have you even understood what is the trigger point for this? You will be surprised when we dug into it and when we understood what these guys are doing, these guys, a bunch of, uh, you know, early 20s uh, type of uh, age group uh, people, they were writing the code for two-factor authentication for all banking transactions. And their code, their company is an OEM supplier to several core banking solution providers in the country. And when, then we started digging into, okay, who are these uh, uh, banking products and where are these uh, products getting found? that about 75 to 80% of the banks in India use these products. And the OEM from this particular uh, company goes into these 75, 80 banks across the country, which basically means banking transaction-wise, 75% of the population that does banking transactions, the code written by these four people touches that many people in the country. When this was explained, their eyes really popped out. I said, boss, anytime somebody does a debit card transaction, credit card transaction, anyone does an online money transfer, your code gets triggered. The OTP that you get on your own phone is because of your own code. Have you understood that? When that was explained, 
their eyes really widened they never re- it didn't strike them it didn't uh, occur to them so one of the most powerful things to drive ownership is to help people understand the business purpose of why something is being done i've always told my team um, you know i used to work for a large financial services uh, customer i always tell my team whenever there is some production issue that you get at middle of the night do not ask which module which job which transaction ask how how many uh, customers uh, you know uh, are not able to do their transactions are there any trades impacted talk around the business uh, language if you do not appreciate the business impact you will always look at what you are doing as 10 lines of code and 20 lines of uh, you know uh, changes that is really something that has to change so understanding the business purpose and understanding why you are doing something drives an immense level of uh, you know ownership among the team there are few other things and i'll just talk about couple of things uh, to kind of highlight how this can be done the other thing uh, you know that we have found extremely uh, strong extremely powerful is peer to peer recognition and appreciation organizations that have a very formal peer to peer recognition and acceptance uh, and appreciation uh, you know framework they have found that the team output is significantly high you will always feel nice when the manager appreciates that is always there but when a peer tells you hey balish you did a fantastic job yaar i mean this is really cool what happens is that when he does something or when she does something i also want to reciprocate now both our egos have gone up what happens as a result of we both want to work together we want to help each other it's like a you know cricket match right when two people really understand each other they build a strong partnership they talk about hey this bowler this is what uh, he is likely to do this person this is how he is going to uh, you know set a field so let us figure out and uh, score accordingly right likewise within the team when there is peer appreciation when there is peer acknowledgement people tend to become highly collaborative and when there is high level of uh, collaboration the ownership increases tremendously mainly because if i am in a team of let's say seven people we are a highly collaborative team with great peer to peer network i will feel guilty if i do something and as a result of which somebody else is not able to do their task if there is somebody dependent on me typically right developer has to do something only then the tester can you know finish their job the developer will feel morally responsible to do their job on time to ensure the tester is able to do their job properly otherwise the tester is always uh, quenched and pressured they'll be given only a few hours to test and then there are quality defects right that is because of lack of ownership when you have a very collaborative uh, team dependencies are well appreciated and between themselves they'll feel job done so there's a high level of collaboration that will come through peer uh, recognition and peer appreciation the third element uh, you know that is uh, very very uh, essential is from a manager standpoint to have a very constructive feedback loop established with the team and a very simple thing that most managers uh, you know uh, can follow is what is called as the sandwich feedback approach sandwich feedback is essentially you set up these feedback uh, you know settings meetings what we strongly recommend is feedback meetings should not be more than 15 minutes time box it 15 minutes it's very easy for people to digest a 15 minute meeting start with a good appreciation something good that you have observed about this hey navin you guys are doing a fantastic job on uh, you know the uh, podcast that you are doing 
the guiding voice is amazing i am really thrilled by what you are doing okay now i have to then give a improvement hey navin um, you know maybe uh, you should expand on to two or three more podcast platforms and that could help you reach uh, more people and you know maybe that is something for you to consider with another positive feedback you know what you are keeping this conversation so casual you know it, it really makes it easy for people to converse on this podcast platform i think that is the strength of uh, you know why you are so successful now if you take this approach you know and of course when i say something the feedback uh, receiver will also share some points right but do not extend beyond 15 minutes if it is time boxed and using the sandwich approach start with a good uh, comment talk about the improvement opportunity close it with another good comment typically people have found this to be extremely positive in terms of the quality of the conversations and as as a result of which they want to do more for the project they have felt appreciated appreciated they also felt uh, you know that it's important to act on the feedback otherwise you know typically you know managers give very wishy-washy feedback so you have to be more proactive you know uh, i would have expected more output out of you what is proactive what is output is never quantified so the sandwich feedback is another approach to uh, consider to improve the ownership from teams so does it help uh, navin uh, i know absolutely. i spoke at length no no absolutely one thing that resonated with me is the peer recognition platform in fact uh, i have witnessed it myself during my stint with general electric we had uh, that peer recognition platform which is very robust like you can simply send a thank you note or you can send some uh, a reward amount associated with it and everything is taken care intrinsically through some hr billing and all and you were not involved and only if at all um, the recognition amount reward amount exceeds certain threshold then only mail will be triggered to the bosses or the hr uh, folks respectively and all but it it really did wonders i can totally relate to you and also i love the aspect of this uh, sandwich feedback Uh, yeah definitely uh, talking something positive and then some improvement need and again concluding with positive that gives a sense of belongingness and uh, most importantly the 15 minute time box would help because at times people go overboard and if it is beyond 15 minutes i think it is difficult to digest and all right so great great inputs there and now uh, let us switch gears and talk about uh, efilor okay your organization what is the meaning of uh, efilor why did you name it like that and uh, what kind of services do you offer to your clients anything that you'd share with our audience yeah i think me and my colleagues in efilor uh, primary objective is um, how do we uh, transform the way people work right how people work really needs to be transformed and how leaders lead has to be transformed as well that's really our uh, focus and when we were uh, figuring out how to name the company he said uh, if you are transforming how leaders lead and how people work what are we really doing we are touching people we are touching individuals we are touching uh, you know teams he said what we are in essence doing is making people effective so efilor actually we coined the name by the acronym of building effective individuals leaders and organizations we just clubbed that and said okay let's name our company efilor it's very neutral it doesn't harm uh, anybody uh, you know by the uh, name and tone of it and at the same time conveys what we do so that's how we uh, name the company and what we really uh, do uh, as i said uh, one of the things uh, that we really help is uh, making agile work we help companies ensure that uh, they build that agile culture into their teams and we do this for both uh, you know technical teams as well as the business teams 
there are a few other areas that we uh, work upon. For example, how leaders lead. How can we transform leaders? So we focus on uh, how can we make people strategic. So there's a strategic leadership um, program that we have. In today's uh, context, uh, you know, post-pandemic, there are a few things, uh, you know, that uh, leaders would need to change in their approach. For example, one of the things uh, very valued in today's context is how can a leader be authentic? So authentic leadership is another program uh, that we do. The third one is uh, how do we really, uh, you know, drive innovation within the team? And it all starts from the top. So how do we drive authentic leadership and innovative leadership? The other aspect, again, uh, mostly we focus on uh, technology and tech-oriented uh, companies. So one of the key things that we have found in the industry, and this is all personal learnings as well, is that we are always focused on tasks and deliveries. There is a customer, there are a set of tasks to be done, there are certain deliveries to be completed, there are so many number of people needed. So we tend to get into very transactional uh, focus and very uh, delivery focus. How do we become more solution focused? So we have uh, done a lot of work with our customers on helping navigate that mindset shift from being delivery centric to solution centric. And when we look at all these uh, aspects, there is a meta skill that is needed to drive all these changes, whether it is agility, solution mindset, leadership uh, change, you know, what is a meta skill called curiosity. So how do we build a curious culture? You know, and therefore, how do we uh, bring that ability to learn, that urge to learn? How do we ensure that uh, you, know, you are able to challenge the status quo? How do you nurture creativity? So we address uh, those things by building a curious uh, culture. So these are the key things that we do as an organization. And there are adjacent areas that we typically help on in terms of organization structure, design, process changes, and things like that. But these are kind of, uh, in a nutshell, the services that we do from Vethila. <laughs> this goes uh, hand in hand with the combination of uh, lean startup mindset, agile methodology, and also transformation aspects. So you guys are focusing on the right card, actually. That's what I can say in terms of improving the efficiency of the organizations while promoting camaraderie among team members and all. Excellent. All right. Now, uh, let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. What are some of the toughest lessons that you have? What are some of the toughest lessons that you have learned as an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, um, I started late, right? Um, so when I uh, left my corporate job, I was almost uh, 45 years old. So the Tough thing to reconcile when I uh, moved into uh, the journey with FLR is uh, we really have to get over this hierarchy mindset, right? So when I approach customers, for example, in uh, or when I'm talking to a prospect, my initial days, I was trying to see how senior is this person? Is he equivalent uh, to me in terms of uh, designation and things like that? And I think that was a huge mistake because a buyer should not be judged by their position or their, uh, you know, uh, designation or whatever, the buyer should be judged based on the need they have. And they are trying to solve something for their organization. So we have to look at that intent of the buyer and not the position or the designation they hold. That was a huge uh, learning for me because when you are in a senior position in a company, it kind of uh, becomes ingrained in your thought process that you tend to look at hierarchies and positions. So that was a big uh, you know, a shift in uh, mindset that I had to go through uh, when I moved out of my uh, you know, corporate position. The second big thing that I uh, learned is to be patient. For example, you know, sometimes uh, customers will delay their projects. They may have their own uh, challenges. 
uh, when you are running your own uh, team in a corporate setup you know you decide the priorities you decide the funding you know so you have a lot of uh, ability to maneuver things when you are in a customer and a service provider approach you really need to have the patience to understand what the customer is going through and that was a big uh, learning sometimes initially i would get frustrated oh in may it is now august still not started what are these guys doing bad decision makers you know we tend to make uh, our own judgments and you know have a biased approach towards customers i think it's really important to understand what they go through you know what emotions they go through what is the challenges in their uh, buying cycle and therefore if you are able to address that by understanding those uh, you know buying cycle challenges of the customer you will be able to uh, you know solve their problems beyond what they are asking you to do that is another major uh, learning that i had so i think in the short span of you know four four and a half years that i've been uh, doing this i would say these two are big learnings for me so it's it's more about uh, focusing on the uh, not not focusing on the designation of the buyer and at the same time being patient and being empathetic understand what the customer is going through excellent insights and uh, balish this has been wonderful conversation but i would like to spice in up this episode by asking you okay. a few interesting rapid fire questions okay all right all right with your consent i am proceeding with my first question uh, what is your favorite word in another language in a language that i cannot speak yeah well uh, one of the things uh, i talk about from malayalam movies is uh, satyam parada and um, my <laughs> pull my leg saying that those are the only two words you know in malayalam so uh, so i think I, whenever we have some conversations i prod my uh, children hey satyam parada so so i think uh, that possibly is a stand out for me <laughs> what is the meaning tell the truth or yeah tell the truth satyam okay. is true parada means tell the tell so satyam okay. parada is tell the truth yeah i i can relate because it is close to i mean i mean all uh, south indian languages south indian are, languages yeah dravidian follow this dravidian script and all and i often uh, watch these malayalam movies and all may you could yeah. relate certain words and all not exactly the entire thing but yeah quite interesting yeah. <laughs> now uh, comes my next one if you could live anywhere in the world or universe without any visa restrictions where would you live actually i wouldn't go too far um, i've been quite a few times to the nilgiris uh, hills in uh, you know tamil nadu i love them the tea estates the uh, forest you know a lot, lot of um, elephant corridors uh, i love them I and mean, i keep uh, going to the nilgiris uh, every once in a while uh, i don't think i need to go too far uh, if there's a way for me to settle down there and retire over there i would love it <laughs> stay, stay among nature yeah 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 interesting all right so moving on to my next one what is one thing you wish you enjoyed more Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I would say I should have spent more time with my children, and if there's a way to roll back the time and go back twenty years, I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, fair enough. And uh, moving on, what was your last impulse buy? Impulse buy, my running shoes. Uh, it was a very impulse uh, buy because uh, I bought this in November. There was a sale going on, and somebody known to me was an influencer, so she said. Yeah, I'll give you another forty percent discount. Buy it. As soon as I got that WhatsApp message, I went online and booked. Uh, you know that shoe. Didn't care about the brand and you know whether it would fit me well or something, but I bought it. So I think yeah, that was the recent one that I can remember in terms of <laughs> impulse buy. As soon as the WhatsApp came, I just decided. 
and it was not a cheap shoe so <laughs> yeah got it so so now we know how to lure you <laughs> all right so moving on to the final one for the rapid fire what is one electronic gadget that you like to see or invent more than an electronic gadget i would say i need a universal charger you know laptop for my uh, you know uh, uh, headset for my phone uh, you know every time i travel i need to carry four different types of chargers for each of those devices if there's a single charger that would solve the problem that is what i would be really uh, interested in definitely i think i'm going to buy it for sure and maybe if you ask me the same question <laughs> i would say i need a device which doesn't require charging at all <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, um, during my college days, I used to have a solar uh, calculator, engineering calculator. It was mm. amazing. It lasted all four years, never failed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, something like that would be fantastic. Absolutely. All right. So yeah, that was an interesting rapid fire. And uh, uh, before I let you go, one final question. Okay, for today's conversation, Balish, what will be your one piece of advice to those aspiring to make big in their careers? i can only tell from my own experience which is uh, no matter what profession what role you know you are in technology business whatever that you may be doing i think the big learning for me is always focus on connecting with people building a network having a rapport relationship i think uh, this is what really will stand in the long run and this is what i tell my um, children as well never lose your friends you know if they call you to go out or something go it's okay that's what will um, you know stand with you not your uh, educational qualification and other things skills are needed but i think more than that the people connect is uh, extremely important and i think um, sometimes we tend to undervalue that and in the modern uh, social media frenzy we connect more people uh, electronically than in person and i think uh, the more you relate to people and understand them and connect with them you will not realize how um, you know um, uh, important it is uh, in the long term so i think that is a big realization for me and that's what i would strongly urge everyone to focus on and that is a very very important thing to uh, really follow because in the social media days like we see people having hundreds or thousands of followers on their various networks and all but when it comes to face to face interaction they fail to maintain proper eye contact and really establish that particular connection and all right yeah you brought in a very yeah. important perspective and i think the, yeah. the power of the connections is really about when you need something when you yeah. when you need help who among the thousands of your social media followers can help you yeah right when you try to look at that metric um, i would say you know it's not about whom you connected um, you know on linkedin or facebook or insta or wherever it's about whom you can call and have a conversation and i think uh, that is very very and especially as people become more and more senior for example professionally and uh, in their careers it's only the people and relationships that count and uh, nothing else yeah absolutely great points and this has been a very very great discussion and i thoroughly enjoyed every bit of it thank you so much balesh for being part of the guiding voice journey in shaping the careers and lives of millions across the globe really pleasure to have you thank you so much navin for the opportunity i think uh, you are doing a fantastic job and um, I'm sure I'm going to uh, follow you all through in uh, all the channels in which you're going to post content, and I'm really glad that I connected with you. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks to Coffee Mug as well. <laughs> all right, so great uh, pleasure, pleasure hosting you, Balish. Pleasure, pleasure to have you. So, folks, before we move into the trivia section, here is a small request to you. 
please subscribe to us in case if you haven't done already also if you have loved the conversation and loved this episode and found it useful please share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who can benefit from the guiding voice because your friends also will learn new stuff like you and we'll gain a set of new subscribers thank you so much in advance now let's cruise into the trivia segment of today's episode so today we had a wonderful discussion with balesh he enlightened us with his topic making agile work and uh, in the beginning of this episode i mentioned about various flavors of agile like scrum bsdm feature driven development extreme programming behavior driven development and so on so i'm going to share more insights about bsdm as part of today's trivia you know what bsdm stands for it stands for dynamic system development method and it was created in the year 1994 by a consortium of software engineers most notable and influential in the development framework being jennifer stapleton and ari van venecum so these two guys were the backbone of dsdm and dsdm is considered the predecessor of agile project manager agile project management in fact uh, it emphasizes backlog prioritization like if you were to relate it to the mosco technique and also short iterations constant and regular user feedback flexible scope and these are all the essential elements for present product management so likewise you have various organizations following different types of uh, flavors of agile methodologies and so on in case if you have come across any interesting agile methodology please drop in your comments and also if you have come across any experts like balesh who are helping the organizations drive their change management project management and operations manage effectively please provide the reference you can reach out to me through social media or email me at theguidingvoiceforyou@gmail.com and that's all for today thank you so much for joining me folks i am your host navin samala a fellow it professional on a mission to make a difference in the lives and careers of millions across the globe until next time bye bye